couldn't tell you how many people reached out to me and were like, thank you for sharing that. And then finally shared their story that they've kept for 10 plus years where they almost died in childbirth, where their baby almost died. Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I'm Amy Spreeman, and that voice that you just heard is that of Amy Woods, whose experience as a first, second, third, and fourth-time mom was not the storybook birthing experience we often see romantically portrayed in the movies and on television. My co-host, Carolyn DeRosier, and I will meet up with Amy to hear her personal story in a moment. First, you You need to know that for women of color like Amy, giving birth can be a risky endeavor. A recent headline says it all. Black women are five times as likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. That is a shocking thing to hear, but that's the statistic for Wisconsin from the Centers for Disease Control and Wisconsin's Department of Health Services. That news article, by the way, garnered a Best Hard News Feature Award for reporter Kainala Phillips, who wrote this as an intern for the New News Lab, which is a collaborative effort we are a part of to help support our local newsrooms with technology and funding to preserve and protect local journalism. I met up with Kainala, now a reporter from the Kansas City Star, and Henry Sanders, publisher of Madison 365, and here's what they had to say. Henry and Kanala, thanks so much for joining us. I want to start by congratulating you both on your recent awards. Uh, Madison 365 earned six 2021 Milwaukee Press Club awards, including Best Hard News feature for Kanala's coverage of maternal health disparities in Northeast Wisconsin. Wow, uh, quite an accomplishment for you. Yeah, I think for us, I think we're, we're both proud of the work. So thank you for acknowledging that. Well, we want to make sure that we mention this because you are both involved in the new news lab. And up here in Northeast Wisconsin, we are very excited to support this effort to uh, protect and enhance local journalism. In fact, Kanala, you wrote your story while you were on an internship funded by the new news lab. The title of your article is Black Women Are Five Times As Likely to Die in Childbirth. Here's what that looks like in Green Bay. Uh, That is quite astounding. And you've localized such an alarming situation that most people in our area perhaps are not aware of. Talk about what this piece meant to you as a journalist and what inspired you to investigate this. Yeah, I think this was a piece that was um, kind of inspired by a lot of personal realities for myself. You know, sometimes I even joke with my friends, like, you know, I don't really even know if I want to have kids one day because of this reality, you know, as a Black woman, for people who don't know. So, like, I think that's something that, you know, I just wanted to understand more about the issue. And I especially wanted to understand more about the issue in a part of the state that we don't even think, you know, a lot of people, if you ask them, are there black people in Wisconsin, they might tell you, you know, I didn't know there were black people in Wisconsin, let alone North, you know, Northeast Wisconsin. So I think that was something I really wanted to dig into because it is such a, it's such a nuanced reality too, where so much of it might be based on these interpersonal experiences you're having with providers. Um, and there are a lot of other factors that can tie into how likely you are to have adverse, you know, experiences. But I do think that it's just so nuanced and having an opportunity to shed light on it um, is very important because even 
while reporting, I remember, you know, trying to work through certain graphs in the story. And my mom was in the room and I remember she started crying, you know, and she was she was like, oh, my gosh, I remember this happening to me when I was, um, you know, having you. Or I remember feeling like someone was really rude to me and not acknowledging that I was having X, Y, Z symptoms when I was having you. And so I guess hearing her talk about that while I was in the editing process, it was just really important because I think so much of this is just about believing Black women, believing women, period, too, when they say they're experiencing things. And this story was an opportunity to start that process. There's obviously so much work to do in terms of telling more stories that need to be told. But yeah, I think an opportunity to connect with women in that part of the state and amplify the fact that this is happening to them was really important. We're going to link up that article in our our episode show notes today. And I want to point out that in your story, uh, your interviewees said uh, there was a common thread. They said, I had these concerning symptoms and no one would listen to me. That just seems to be such a common and sad experience. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that there's a lot to say about that. And I think that's a common experience for people of color in healthcare, people, Black people in the healthcare. You know, I think we go to the doctor sometimes and it's, there's a communication barrier for some reason with folks trying to express what's going on with their body and make sure that they get adequate treatment. From the people that I spoke to, it seemed as though um, it was hard to get doctors to one pay attention um, and to believe them. And so that's something that seems to be really consistent. And when you consider the fact that these women are in a part of the state where maybe there aren't as many doctors that look like them, maybe there aren't as many people who have experienced what they're experiencing, then that's an added barrier, you know, not just the communication, but even like the cultural understanding that yeah, there are communities that might experience different health emergencies or X, Y, Z, and it might present differently than it has in patients you've seen before. If you're seeing patients that, you know, seem pretty homogenous up until you get that Black woman who is experiencing pain, but, you know, maybe you're not understanding why or how it's happening. So I think there's probably a bunch of reasons why this happens, but it is pretty consistent. And I think One thing that people have mentioned when I was speaking to folks and reporting on the topic is if they had more providers who looked like them and familiar with um, treating folks in their community, that that might help bridge some of those communication gaps to start. And that seems to be part of, if we're looking for solutions, that seems to be part of it. And you reported that three years ago, there was a $1.8 million grant from the CDC to address maternal mortality in Wisconsin. What was that grant for? What were some of the things that were talked about? So that money was to um, really unpack the causes of maternal mortality and the complications that are leading to that and determine what type of interventions would be most effective in preventing that. So that was the main objective of that grant. I wanted to ask you what you learned from this story and what readers can take away from the article. I think something that I learned from this story, from the people that I spoke to in Northeast Wisconsin, that there is like an urge or a thirst for community around this topic and in other topics. But I think that they're still working on building that up. And so 
Um, the folks who I spoke to had actually connected to national organizations to try and make sure that they were um, shedding light on this topic. Um, but it seems as though there's still a need for community to really gather around some of these issues. And so I look forward to seeing how folks make that happen because it did seem like it was brewing. And I think that one thing folks should take away from this story in particular and the new news lab is just the fact that you see national topics on the news all the time. It's really important to think critically about how those things might exist or might be happening, you know, right around the corner from your house, because it might look different than what you see on national news. It might look different than what you are seeing on regional outlets, but that doesn't mean that it's not there, that it's not happening, and that there isn't, you know, a local way for you to maybe tap in and learn more. Henry, what uh, was the reaction when this story hit? What did your readers uh, say? Did you did you get any reactions from people when they started to learn that this is a real issue in Wisconsin? You know, I think people were shocked because they. I think we have a different perspective within Wisconsin and how we really think about how really things really can impact women. Uh, and especially Black women. So I think it was something that was an awareness for them. And you can't deny it with the data. The data is the data, right? So you can't deny the data. And it's not just something that people are feeling emotionally. There's actually some factually behind these issues and what can we do to intensely address some of these issues. I think it was awareness from that perspective that gave people a call to actually action to do something about it. That's incredible. I um, want to give you both a chance to kind of wrap up a little bit and share any final thoughts you have on this story or New News Lab and the impact you're having. Henry, you want to go first? Oh, sure. Uh, from For me, I think this, again, the partnership, the work with organizations who are not necessarily have the same audience as us, who might have a different mission than us, but overall, I want to make sure all voices are heard. And want to make sure that people can actually know the impact of the community, but also understand the, the impact of journalism and, and collaborating together because we all want to make sure that all communities are heard and have a true voice. So I think that's part of the, the new lab. And hopefully people can see that one story this young lady has done has such an impact that she won a national award because of it, that the impact that you can have going into journalism, and especially if you get people from that community who can write about those communities, I think the impact can be vast. So those are things I want to say, and thank you for having me. Kanala, how about you? One one thing that's really important for me as a reporter, one thing that I always tell folks is that I'm, I'm someone who's interested in Midwestern stories, and as a Black person from the Midwest, I think there's so much about those regional identities that we don't always get to unpack, that we don't always get to talk about. So, you know, a place like Wisconsin is my home, um, but sometimes I don't always feel like it because of XYZ or the third. And so I think that the News Lab was a great opportunity to dig into these regional identities and be honest about the fact that this may be my home, but these are also things that are going on that might make it hard. So the News Lab was a great opportunity to look into that and to pay homage to communities and to honor folks' voices who may not always feel honored. And I, I look forward to more opportunities to do that in this region moving forward in my life. Well, thank you both for what you do. Really appreciate you being on with us today. Thank you.
Why is there such a huge disparity in maternal health care in Northeast Wisconsin and everywhere else? And what does this look like from a personal perspective? The CDC says things like quality of health care, chronic conditions, and structural racism and bias have all contributed to higher chances of life-threatening situations. In nearby Brown County, Black women receive the lowest rates of first-trimester health care and are most likely to have premature births. Carolyn and I caught up with small business owner Amy Woods, who was featured in Kainala's news article, and we heard about her personal experience with this issue. We sat down at a local restaurant in northern Outagamie County, where Amy lives with her family. And please note that if you're a listener who's had a traumatic birth experience, you may want to skip the rest of this episode. Here's Amy's story. Thank you for joining us, Amy. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, so um, my name is Amy Woods. I live right outside of Green Bay. My husband and I have four children, almost 10 and under. So we have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 3-year-old, and a 2-year-old. Two boys and two girls. Uh, My husband's a welder by day. Uh, We own a small business on the side. Um, So I've been going full-time with entrepreneurship and motherhood. Um, your story about your birthing experience begins a decade ago. Uh, did you know at the time that there was a different experience for people of color other than uh, what we might see in movies or television or the stories we hear from uh, women who are white? So I think back to 10 years ago and um, getting ready to birth our first child, I was 18 years old. So it was a little bit of a different mentality. I think I was already scared, you know, and I didn't have time to even like process, you know, how I was going to be treated. So I was thinking it was going to be maybe this beautiful (laughs) experience and it wasn't. It was really uncomfortable for, for many reasons. My parents had kind of pushed me to go to a, like a Catholic hospital, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I, I was kind of expecting this like hug of (laughs) affection and, it was a very judgmental space, especially with, you know, my age and everything else. And uh, I mean, I don't know how in detail y'all want me to go, but <laughs> okay, I'll share it. So um, I wanted to nurse. Obviously, I was like, I heard breast is best. I want to nurse. Um, so I had done that little research on my own. And the lactation consultant, when she came in, she was making like awkward comments about the size of my nipples, the color of my nipples, weird things about like my skin and stuff like that Mm. and it it turned me off to the entire thing like it wasn't that loving experience that I expected and so I think about those first few days and I think about the judgment kind of the trauma surrounding it I um, had to wait for a NICU nurse to drive from Appleton so my son came out with like a giant cone head and um, he ended up getting rushed to the NICU at that time and there was just no communication and so I was just left feeling scared, and it was not at all what I had expected at that time. So um, I think I had past experiences, you know, of, like, racism and maybe microaggressions that kind of led me to suspect that my treatment might not be the same. But um, I think my my parents had always kind of, like, reassured me, it'll be fine. You're just imagining it or whatever. And so, and I was used to that because I was, I was adopted into a white family, Um So just to give you some background, I kind of grew up hearing that, you know, any little racist issue I had, it was always, they didn't mean it like that. 
it'll be fine. You're, you know, so I always thought I was overreacting. Um, so when I had my son, my sister-in-law actually came, my husband's sister came and, um, she was like, this isn't right, you know? And I wouldn't have known had I had her not there because I thought, you know, I'm just trying to make the best of it and trying not to be dramatic and trying not to cause any problems. And they already might be viewing me one way. So just tried to be as quiet as I could. And, um, she, she was quick to point out things that weren't, weren't right and addressing them. And so looking back, I'm like, so thankful for that step that she took because otherwise I probably would have just let it all sweep under the rug instead of addressing it. So it sounds like you didn't, you didn't necessarily know at first that what you felt wasn't right was, was, it was essentially your family member that validated like your experience. Exactly. That's a really tough base to be in when you're having to question question your own feelings of and and put yourself in a place where you're maybe not advocating for yourself, especially when you're birthing a human being. Right. <laughs> that sounds really difficult. Um, were there any other differences that you noticed in that experience? Yeah. So I think um, part of it was that they didn't kind of respect my birthing plan that I had in my mind. I, you know, I was like, I want to nurse. I want to try to deliver naturally. I want to do this. And it was this rush to, as soon as I started complaining that it hurt or whatever, it was this rush to, okay, we got to give her this. We got to do the epidural. We got to do this. And it wasn't so much my choice. I felt like I was kind of pressured into that. And I would say that happened with three of my four births. Um, the last birth, the only reason it didn't happen was because I showed up at nine and a half centimeters. And I was like, I'm a mama of four. I know what I'm doing. You know, don't play with me. And so I showed up with a doula who met me there because my husband couldn't come in. And um, I was nine and a half ready to go. And I said, this is how I'm doing it. And she she strongly advocated for me um, because obviously I was in a ton of pain. And one of the nurses was like, well, we can try to. And she was like, nope, she's got this. We got this. You know, she's not taking her or she can take her mask off. Y'all are fine. You know, because they were trying to make me keep my mask on for the last, you know, half a centimeter to push or whatever. So it was it was I went in a little bit more prepared by round four for that pressure to do things their way. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of mothers experience that. But I would say that the pain tolerance is perceived differently for black women. Um, and I noticed that even with um, other moms that I noticed in the hallway that are laboring and walking and the nurse would have their their arm around them in support. But then when it's my turn, same nurse, I don't get that. It's it's walk around on your own, you know, kind of thing. It was just very different. Um, and I don't, it sounds weird and I don't know how to even explain it sometimes, but it's the little things that you notice. Um, and that was one that stuck out to me. It was just like the lack of um, even touching. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure. not a very touchy person. So, but I know that in those moments, you know, a pat on the back, a rub on the back, that kind of thing that my doula who came to advocate for me was, was willing to do, but the nurses weren't. And, but I saw them doing it with other patients. So so that was, that stuck out to me as I reflect back on some of the experience that I've had. Um, There's experiences I've shared with my white friends that are mothers and they were like, that's, that's never happened to me. The constant questioning of whether um, I'm married or not whether all my kids have the same father or not. Um, and, you know, there's questions that they have to ask, you know, medically when they check you in. And then there's the nosy questions that come in later that I'm like, I know y'all see this in my chart. Do you know what I mean? And I would go in, I used to go in, they tell you, take off your jewelry and stuff like that. 
the last two times I birthed, I kept my ring on, avoid any questions, you know what I mean? And, um, but I think that's, that's the big one is that the kind of the nosiness of like our lives and how many partners we've had and just weird stuff. Um, so yeah. Um, your first birthing experience and your last birthing experience were pretty different, you had mentioned. Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah. So the first one, obviously, scared, um, pushed into everything. But the last one, I will say, um, yes, my experiences helped and my confidence and, like, my motherhood helped. But having a doula there to support me, even though she wasn't a black woman, she was able to kind of bridge that gap between what I was saying, you know, and what they were saying and kind of just help us to all communicate and get on the same page and ultimately just advocate for me. Um, and so I came in a lot more prepared, a lot more confident. Um, I did 24 hours. I was out of there. They didn't, they didn't come in and check on me. It was April. All the schools had just shut down with COVID. Um, I was in there pressing on my own stomach because I knew that's what I had to do. Um, when it was time to take my first shower, um, I told them, like, hey, I'm kind of getting ready. I'd like to shower. You know, it's been a long time. <laughs> and um, she was like, well, you know, if I, I can try to come in and hold the baby if if you want. And I'm like, oh, this doesn't sound too promising, you know. Uh, but she came in. She grabbed him for about a second. She was like, I don't think he's going to calm down for me. And put him back in the thing. So I wheeled the cart into the bathroom, you know, the little... What is it called? The little nursery cart? Yeah. I wheeled it into the bathroom. So he was right outside the shower with me. And honestly, the kid's been attached to me ever since. So maybe this is why. <laughs> because no, dad wasn't there. Nobody was there. My doula left right after he was born. So she was there for the labor. But after that, I was solo. And um, lonely is an understatement. Like, they didn't, they didn't come in at all. They didn't come in at all. And I would call. And they would. It's, it was before you figure any vaccine knowledge. Any. It was that. They had no gear, PPE gear. It was just this craze. And so I know some of it is COVID. Um, and so who knows? Maybe they were treating other patients like that. I think they did it specifically to me because I had four kids and they were just like, she's fine. You know, and I wasn't I wasn't in the mood to put up a fit because I just want to get out of there. And I um, when she was like, you're trying to you're trying to go now. And I'm like, yep. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. My husband can take better care of me at home than how I'm being cared for here. And she was just kind of like, I know we're busy. And I'm like, y'all aren't busy. You just didn't, you didn't want to come in. And like, they would, they were weird about touching and all that stuff. And um, overall, it was still, in my mind, a better experience than um, my third. Because with my third, they put my baby's life at risk, you know? And so I like, at this, this one, I'm like, I know we're healthy. I know we're good we're out of here, you know, and it was just like a little bit of lack of affection and lack of care, but it, it wasn't putting us at really at risk. Um, whereas with my third, I always think about like, what if, you know, like, what if I didn't have the knowledge to step up? If I was, if I had my third at 18, like if I had that same experience, I probably wouldn't have said anything because I didn't have that confidence. So it probably would have had to take my sister-in-law or somebody to be like, hey, you really should, you know, say something. But I mean, my husband, he's a pretty quiet guy too. So he's not, unless he has to be, he's pretty quiet. 
And so um, when I told him, I said, you know, babe, her eyes, her eyes still look yellow. They look really yellow to me. She's sleepy. She looks yellow to me. I'm like, this doesn't look right, you know. And then the nurse came in and we were getting ready to be to discharge and everything. And she was a preemie. This is kind of near the end of our, our stay. But when she was first born, um, she was actually very very healthy. She had some blood sugar issues, so they were pricking her a ton. And so it was already a pretty traumatic experience for me um, because I had two other kids at home waiting for me. And, you know, she finally goes through the car seat tests and all this stuff, right? So the, after she does the, the car seat test and all the other tests she had to pass to go home, this nurse walks in, she grabs her from me, not saying anything. Okay. There was a little bit of a language barrier. I will say that. Um, I think she was German. Um, so I had a hard time understanding her as well. So a lot, I'd ask her to repeat herself a lot. She was getting irritated with me. We didn't mesh very well, but she, she grabbed Amira. She takes her over and I see her changing her, um, to give her a bath and stuff. And she was being so rough. I know nurses can have a little extra speed on them. So I'm like, I'm prepared for that. But it was really, it was really obvious to the point that, again, my sister-in-law was here and she was looking like, and I'm looking like, you know, what is going on here? And um, finally, she kind of like flings her around. I was like, hold on. I was like, you need to stop. You're being too rough with her. And she's like, this is how I handle all, all the babies. And I was like, well, then that's a problem. Like that's, I've seen, I've had babies before. I know that's not how, that's too rough. And she's a preemie, you know, she's already been through a lot. And um, so she she got a little irritated with me. She leaves, comes back and she goes, well, we have to take her back for the car seat testing and all that. And I said, no, she just had that. I said, that's why we're getting ready to discharge. She just had the car seat testing. I don't see any notes in here. And I said, and she was like, I know they didn't do the testing. And I'm like, they did. I know they did the testing. And my husband's like, yeah, they came in. They told us the results that she was good to go. And she's like, well, we're going to have to redo it then because I don't see it. And I'm like, oh, wow. Well. So couldn't trust what you she said. She couldn't trust what I said. And then so I called the charge nurse in there and the charge nurse is like, yep, it's all it's all in here. Like, all you had to do was look, you know. And so I, I said, can she just be taken from her care for right now? Because if she has to go back to the NICU, I can't trust that she's going to handle my baby properly without me standing there and staring at her, you know, and now she's upset with me. So I don't know if she's going to take it out of my child or not. And so I said, she needs to be taken out of the care. And so she didn't come back in. They took her out of the care and said they would talk with her, whatever. So after all this happened, now we're getting ready to leave. Right. And I noticed her color changing and I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And it's a new nurse. And the new nurse is like, it's just, it's just because of your ethnicity. It's just how, that's how her skin looks. And I said, I've had babies before. I know, and I know that eye color has nothing, yellow eyes have nothing to do with. And she was like, oh. she's like, if you want, I can message the doctor or whatever. I could page the doctor and ask for another bilirubin test or whatever it's called. I'm like, yes, please. That would be great. You know, trying to still be a nice person. And so he calls and I can hear him over the thing. And he was like, why does she want another one? And then it's like, well, she thinks that the eye, her eyes still look yellow and her tone still looks yellow. And he was like, just run another one. It's fine. I'm like, they were rushing me out of there. I just want to be out of there at this point. Like they were ready to get me gone. Anyway, they run the test and she was like, I'm sure it's fine. We're still going to send you home. We'll let you know if there's any, if there's any problems. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, do y'all need this room this bad? Like Mm. (laughs) to boot us out? Like you can't wait a couple hours, you know? And she was like, just had a... It's February or it's December, full blown snowstorm. So I'm going, I'm like, okay, they said we're good. We'll wait. Maybe I was tripping, but at least I got the test, you know, whatever. 
So we make it to my parents' house to pick up our other two kids, finally, after a 45-minute drive, and they call us back. Oh, her numbers are dangerously high. You got to come back as soon as possible. We have to get her under the light for, you know, minimum of two days or whatever. You know, um, we all know the risks of jaundice and severe brain damage, possibly death. And so when I look back, I just, I'm so thankful that I had that nudge. I'm like, I was so irritated at that point. And I'm like, so had I not said anything, my baby could have had brain damage. Who knows what would have happened. We'll be back in just a moment with more of Amy's story and some hope. Are you passionate about helping people thrive in your neighborhood and community? Not sure where to start? Your Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region can help. By giving through the Community Vision Fund, you can improve well-being for all in the areas of financial stability, community and neighborhood development, the environment, arts and culture, and nonprofit effectiveness. More at cffoxvalley.org. Together we flourish, today and for future generations. We are back with more of the story now and some resources. Amy, I know you've been involved with an organization called Birth Queen. Uh, where is it based? What's the mission? And, and what has your involvement been? Yeah, so Birth Queen is based out of New York. Um, it was founded by Rachel Nix. And she founded Birth Queen with the mission to basically tackle the maternal health crisis that's going on, the black maternal health crisis. So um, in New York specifically, black women are 12 times more likely to die during childbirth um, than white women. Um, Black babies are, I believe it's three times less likely, might even be higher than that in New York, um, to reach their first birthday. Um, And so there's, that's just a little taste of the statistics, um, but she, her mission is to, to lower those numbers. Um, to make sure that black women are basically treated the same in healthcare spaces and in birth care, birthing situations. Um, it involves offering support. Uh, so whether that be virtual, I know they have a lot of like virtual resources, um, connecting with an ally in your community. Um, so for us, that may look like connecting with somebody in Milwaukee, but it, there's virtual options to that, you know, and so there's doulas. I know there's more, like I said, in Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, it's that virtual aspect and just overall supporting, uh, black mothers that are going through not only pregnancy, but that postpartum part as well. And I know we kind of touched on that. Like, it's not just birth the baby and that's it, you know, it's, what does that support look like? Is it, um, breastfeeding support, nursing support, um, lactation consultants? I know they have plenty of those as well listed on their website. Um, so, yeah, just offering resources and help and bringing education and awareness to it um, with our existing health establishments. Like, hey, what are we doing as a, as a nation, first of all? But on the local scale, what are we doing to, um, to combat that? So for women of color that might be listening to the podcast, um, Birth Queen, though it's based in New York, is an organization that can provide support or people can get connected to. Can you can you talk a little bit about what that looks like locally? How can people yeah. connect if they want to? Absolutely. So um, on Birth Queen Org, there's several links in there that you can um, find either somebody close to you or do virtual um, you know, meetings and just get resources that way. Or they'll connect you with a birthing center that we consider uh, ally birthing center. 
Um, so there, there are resources out there. Um, but ultimately the goal is that we'll have resources everywhere. So, um, even in communities like ours, where we're only three, three to five percent, depending on which city you're in, you know, some people might see that number and be like, ah, <laughs> but that's really how it is. They're like, oh, it's, it's not really a need because there's not enough of a population that needs it. And we got to stop viewing it like that because even when we went down to Atlanta, people, I didn't know there were black people up there. That's what they said. Almost every person we talked to, there's black people up there, like outside of Milwaukee. Yeah, we, we're here. We're out here. And like, we're having families and we're thriving, you know, and we're starting businesses and we're doing things. Um, but I feel like that's what it is. It's like the lower your percentage, you know, is in that area, the less of priority you, you are. It's interesting that three to 5% idea, it's still thousands of people, you know, moms, um, that matter. And I would like to think that even if, our area isn't where it needs to be in terms of representation in the healthcare field of, of doctors of color, that the doctors that are working currently, nurses, any healthcare professional could begin to hear stories like yours, make changes, think differently about, am I offering the same level of support? Am I treating this person the same way? You know, um, I would hope that there's still change that can come from the folks that are in the field now. Um, I really believe there can there can be. Um, I'm grateful for those allies in the community that are willing to step forward and try to make that change without me having to explain over and over and over again, you know, um, because there's there's plenty of data out there that reflects it um, and that the numbers don't lie, you know, and I've had people that have countered me and been like, well, what if it's because um, black women don't eat as healthy? And what if it's because there's so many things that, that we hear and I look back and I reflect on not only the birth situations, but just like chronic pain, you know, and how that was perceived. I think but. when you like think about those experiences and then the data together, it, it makes sense. It does. It does. I think a lot of people are still in total denial over it. Um, if enough people are saying that this is what they're experiencing, maybe it's time we listen, you know, um, Amy, is there anything before we go uh, that we haven't asked you about yet, but that you really think our listeners need to know about this issue? I think it's just this. I think it's sharing, sharing stories. Um, when I shared my birth experience with my third, uh, when I finally shared it, I had friends that were like, oh, my gosh, I would have never known. I've never heard of that happening or I've never, you know, that's the first time. And I couldn't believe, I couldn't tell you how many people reached out to me and were like, thank you for sharing that. And then finally shared their story that they've kept for 10 plus years um, where they almost died in childbirth, where their baby almost died. And um, to the women that, that did lose babies because of perhaps neglect and things like that and then couldn't fight it in court. And there's a lot of stories out there, but it starts with that because people aren't going to get it until we're willing to share and it's worth talking about. Thank you so much for joining us. We're both so thrilled you could be a part. Thank you for being willing to listen. As we wrap up this episode, we have links to all of the resources and articles we talked about over on our website. You can find the program notes at cffoxvalley.org backslash podcasts. We hope you found this conversation enlightening. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe and get all of our podcasts wherever you get your audio. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region.